We've been looking at the tabernacle in the book of Exodus chapter 25. If you remember uh, the order God gave the commandments in Exodus chapter 20 and over the next few chapters of the book of Exodus, he proceeded to expound on uh, some of those aspects of the commandments. And we come to chapter 25 and here's the first time we find uh, some information about the tabernacle. In the first part of the chapter, he mentions first of all all the materials that need to be gathered for the construction of the tabernacle. And then he gave in order several things. The first thing, if you remember, that he mentioned, first thing was the ark, and what is called here in our text is the ark of the testimony. And if you remember, the ark is two parts. Although it's the ark of the covenant, it's one item, but there is the ark and the mercy seat that sits on the top. It's the cover for the ark. Uh, in the book of Hebrews chapter 9, they're actually mentioned separately, although it's, it's one thing. But you remember, this is the place where God will have communion with His people. And that's, that's why it's referred to the Ark of the Testimony. And, and we mentioned here that uh, the reason why I believe it's mentioned first, we understand that uh, the tabernacle is um, not, uh, or uh, the Ark is not made for the tabernacle. The tabernacle is made for the ark. Uh, the ark is what represents the presence of the Lord, is what represents the place of communion. As we made note, all the materials, uh, this would not be, the tabernacle uh, would not be a permanent structure. And what we are impressed with, what we need to be impressed with, is not the outside architecture or the longevity of the materials that are used, but rather the message the testimony that is contained inside of the tabernacle. Uh, that is the, the emphasis. Uh, there, be, there, there are many buildings uh, that have been built that are grander uh, to the eyes of man. They're bigger and they're more permanent than this tabernacle. Uh, but there's nothing, no building has ever been made that's communicated this message that we find in the tabernacle. And so uh, we, I, I drew a, kind of a chart here of... Um, uh, you would have here the kind of a fence um, on the outside, and this would be considered the outer court. Uh, the entrance would be on the east side, and every time they would set up the tabernacle on the move, they would always set it up the same way. The entrance would be on the east, and as you would come through the entrance, you would first see the brazen altar, where we'll see later that that is where the sacrifices offer, offered for the sins of the people, uh, the laver, purification, and then this structure here would be the actual tabernacle. This would be the outer court. You could say this is the inner court. And within the, 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 the tabernacle, there are two parts. The, uh, part one is considered uh, called the holy place. The second part is considered the holy of holies, and it's separated by a veil. Uh, this is the place that no man could go into. The only one who was permitted to enter into the Holy of Holies was the high priest once a year uh, with blood sprinkled on his vesture uh, to bring the blood and to sprinkle it on the mercy seat as he offered an atonement for the sins of the people. And so only once a year uh, he was come in. And I mentioned, I don't know if I mentioned it already, uh, but uh, the way it was done to that uh, there were certain things we'll see later at, at, as the vesture of the high priest uh, that if he was smitten in the Holy of Holies, there was a way to pull him out without others going into the Holy of Holies. And so very sacred place representing the presence of God. Uh, and, and so we mentioned that. And we mentioned that Jesus is the ark. 
And Jesus also is the mercy seat. We mentioned how that was constructed. Then, the, as we continue in Exodus chapter 25, we talked about the table of shewbread. And we mentioned two things here, that Jesus is the table, but also Jesus is the bread on the table. And uh, very important there, uh, we talked about that. Uh, this morning, we're going, this evening, we're going to look at the candlestick. Now, in my attempt at looking online for a picture of the candlestick, I was having a hard time to actually find a picture that fit the description that we find in our text. And so, to the best of my ability, I'm going to try to draw it for you today. And you're not going to be impressed by anything uh, but I do want to uh, maybe put forth kind of what it looks like. And maybe if you have a good picture, you can show it to me that maybe I haven't come across. Uh, I, I just Googled it. So, you know, that, but, so, but uh, if you have a good picture, uh, you can show it to me. But I want us to begin reading in Exodus chapter 25. We're going to be de- begin reading in verse 21. Um, if you remember, again, the materials were gathered for the tabernacle in the first part. The, then we have the Ark of the Testimony with the mercy seat and then the table of shoe bread where Christ is the table and the bread. And at this time we're going to consider the candlestick. And so notice with me in verse 31, Exodus chapter 25 and verse 31. And the word of God says, And thou shalt make a candlestick of pure gold. Of beaten work shall the candlestick be made. His shaft and his branches, his bowls, his knops, and his flowers shall be of the same. And six branches shall come out of the sides of it, three branches of the candlestick out of the one side, and three branches of the candlestick out of the other side. Three bowls shall make like unto almonds, with a knop and a flower in one branch, and three bowls made like almonds in the other branch, with a knop and a flower, Uh, So in the six branches that come out of the candlestick and in the candlestick shall be four bowls made like unto almonds with their knops and their flowers. And there shall be a knop under two branches of the same and a knop under two branches of the same and a knop under two branches of the same according to the six branches that proceed out of the candlestick. Uh, Their knops and their branches shall be of the same. All it shall be one beaten work of pure gold. Now, where he says here at the end of verse 36, all it shall be one beaten work of pure gold, it's not that they made different parts and attached it. This is all one piece. And so it would be, uh, the way it would work for metal, you would have to heat up this metal, and then with some type of instrument, you would have to actually shape this whole candlestick as one piece. You do not forge pieces together. It's one piece. And so that's what it means here, uh, beaten into one uh, work of pure gold. Verse 37, And thou shalt make the seven lamps thereof, and they shall light the lamps thereof, that they may give light over against it. And the tongs thereof and the sniff dishes thereof shall be of pure gold. Of a talent of pure gold shall uh, he make it with all these vessels, and look thou uh, and look that thou make them after their pattern, which have showed thee in the mount. Now I'd like to bring your attention first to verse thirty-one. We read about this new item that is found in the tabernacle, and here we see where it's located. We'll talk about that in just a moment. Uh, but it's referred to as a candlestick of pure gold. 
But I want to go immediately to hear what is the purpose of this candlestick. What does it do? If you notice with me in verse 37. And thou shalt make the seven lamps thereof. And they shall light the lamps thereof, that they may give light over against it. And so immediately we come to this idea of this candlestick. Uh, what is it supposed to do? It's designed to give light over against it. So I'd like to preach a message that I've entitled this evening, A Candlestick to Give Light. A Candlestick to Give Light. Let's pray. Father, we thank you uh, this evening for your word. And Lord, as we consider our study of the tabernacle, we pray that you would see, help us to see Jesus Christ uh, in all that is said about this tabernacle and all of the uh, furniture in the tabernacle and uh, the way that the priest conducted uh, the ministry of the tabernacle. Lord, help us to see Christ in all of those things. And we ask for your blessing on our study. Pray that you would help me. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I would like to begin here when we look at this candlestick to try to get a description of this candlestick. And I would like to just go through the text, try to follow along here. And hopefully as we look at our text to try to draw a picture of what that looks like. If you notice in verse 31, he says, You're going to make a candlestick of pure gold, of beaten work. Shall the candlestick be made? Notice his shaft and his branches and his bowls, his knobs, and his flowers shall be of the same. That means of the same means it's going to be part of the same piece. You're not going to uh, have, a, uh, let's say, the shaft and then add things to it. You're going to make the thing as one piece. And so there's going to be different elements of this. If you notice here, the first thing we read in verse 31 is, first of all, there is his shaft. Now, the shaft would be on the candlestick, would be uh, the main part, uh, that which uh, holds the candlestick up together. We'll see here that there are many branches that come out, but the shaft is the main piece on which all of the branches hang. And so we start here by uh, making uh, the shaft. Again, you're not going to be impressed by this, but I'm going to try my best here. And so this is, the shaft is the main piece. And so when we have the shaft, immediately we read about six branches shall come out of the sides of it, three branches of the candlesticks out of the one side and three branches of the candlestick out of the other side. And so what we read here is that on each side, you're going to find three branches and they're going to be equal on each side. And so here you would have a branch that comes up here. Then you would have a branch equal on this side that comes up here. And then remember, there are three branches on each side. And so it comes up here on this side. And then it comes up on this side. So now we have two branches on each side. We're going to need one more branch. And so this is, well, my, at least my daughter's impressed, so that's, uh, that's good. And so here is the, the candlestick and the uh, three branches on each side. And so here we have, notice, the six branches that are mentioned in verse 32. Three branches on each side. And then we read in verse 33, Three bowls made like unto almonds with a knop and a flower in one branch, and three bowls made like almonds in the other branch with a knop and a flower 
So in the six branches that come out of the candlestick, and in the candlestick shall be four bowls made like the almonds with their knops and their flowers. And there shall be a knop under two branches of the same, and a knop under two branches of the same, and a knop under two branches of the same, according to the six branches that proceed out of the candlestick. So that's a lot of information. But he mentions here, notice, like almonds. And when we think about the almond tree would be a tree that they would be familiar, but an almond tree blooms. And when you think about an almond flower, again, this, this is not, this is what kind of the almond flower looks like. You have a kind of a uh, bowl, a knob, and then a flower. Okay. And so that's what an almond bloom looks like. And so when he refers to, notice, the bowls made like unto almonds, and with a knob and a flower of a branch, verse 33, and three bowls made like almonds in other branches, with a knob and a flower, so in the six branches that come out of the candlestick. And so here we uh, see that there's going to be this uh, candlestick is going to have some ornaments. But remember, those are not ornaments that are going to be added to it. It's all going to be beaten in, in one piece. So this makes it very challenging. It's one thing to have one piece and then to add it to this main structure. But all of the details are to be made and beaten into one piece. Now here we read, notice in verse 33, three bowls made like unto almonds with a knob and a flower in one branch. And so here, this would be considered, let's look at just this one. This is considered one branch. And we read that one branch will have three bowls, three knobs, uh, and, th um, and, uh, and, and a flower on each of the branch. And so if you notice here, again, three bowls made like unto almonds, with a knob and a flower in one branch, and three bowls made like almonds in the other branch, with a knob and a flower, so in the six branches that come out of the candlestick. And so here there would be three knobs. And so if you do a bowl, let's just start here, a knob and a flower, and I'll just go like this. And so this would happen three times. You'd have a bowl, a knob, and a flower. All right, a bowl, a knob, and a flower. And so notice three on each side. And so this would happen for every single branch. Uh, notice again, verse 33, three bowls made like unto almonds with a knob and a flower in one branch, and three bowls made like almonds in the other branch with a knob and a flower. Uh, so in, notice, the six branches that come out of the... So you're going to do the same thing and all, now, I'm going to spare you the time of doing that on each branch. I'll just do it on one. But notice verse 34. And in the candlestick shall be four bowls made like unto almonds with their knobs and their flowers. So here he mentions four. That means that the top, you would find the same thing. So you would find the bowl, the knob, and the flower. So that means now that you have four. And so he mentioned along the branch, three but there's four of them. That means at the top, you would have the same thing. Notice verse uh, 35. And there shall be a knob under two branches of the same, and a knob under two branches of the same, and a knob under two branches of the same, according to the six branches that proceed out of the candlestick. Their knobs and their branches shall be of the same, 
uh, all it shall be one beaten work of pure gold. And so here, this is going to be the same for every single branch, and it's to be all in one piece. Now, let me just say here, that's, that would take a lot of skill. Uh, and by the way, the candlestick looked much better than this, all right? Uh, it, it would, uh, would have looked uh, beautiful. We'll see later those who were employed were very gifted in those areas uh, of, of craft. And so uh, we see here in verse 36, their knops and their branches shall be of the same. All it shall be one beaten work of pure gold, and thou shalt make the seven lamps thereof, and they shall light the lamps thereof, and they shall give light over against it. Now, we'll read later in the Bible, uh, it, when we refer to it as a, a candlestick, or maybe another word is a lampstand, but the point is, they don't have the sense like uh, we have candles today, okay? There would be oil on the top, and the oil would be lit on fire, and this would light up, right, the, this uh, holy place, the, the tabernacle, specifically at nighttime. And we'll see that in just a moment. And so we see here that now you have... Um, seven, right? One, two, three, four, because there would be here at the same uh, a bowl, a flower, uh, a bowl, a knob, and a flower. And so now you would have seven sources of light that would brighten the holy place. Uh, notice here the purpose of this candlestick is mentioned right here in verse 37 that they may give light, notice, over against it. And so here, notice what is on the other side is the table of shoe bread. On the other side, you have the candlestick, but this is the main source of light. And we read, notice in verse 38, And the tongs thereof and the uh, sniff dishes thereof shall be of pure gold. Of a talent of pure gold shall he make it with all of these vessels. Uh, and look that thou make them after their pattern, which, have showed thee, uh, which I have showed thee in the mount. All right, so here's just the, the information but as we look throughout the scriptures and we compare scripture with scripture to the best of our ability, uh, we get a sense, and by the way, I've mentioned this and I've given it away uh, at the beginning, that, that everything surrounding the tabernacle points us to Jesus Christ. And it is no exception here for the candlestick. I believe that the candlestick is Jesus Christ. Uh, now, when we come to, uh, let me establish some things here. Turn with me to the New Testament, uh, to the Gospel according to John. So, let's go to the Gospel according to John. And let's begin in uh, John chapter 1. So, in John chapter 1, in the very first chapter, in the very first verse, John chapter 1 and verse 1, uh, we read uh, some compelling truths about Jesus Christ and who He is. And the Bible says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the what? The light of men. Jesus here, and we know this is Jesus because later in verse 14, he says, and the word that he mentioned in the very first verse, the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And so the word is Jesus Christ himself, God in the flesh. The word, uh, the name Emmanuel means God with us. Uh, the name Jesus means Jehovah is salvation. 
And so Jesus himself uh, is God in the flesh who became a man, although without ceasing to be God. But the Bible tells us that in him was life, and the life was the light of men. And so Jesus is, as we refer to him, as he is the light of the world. Notice if you, uh, verse 5 says, The light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. If you move on over to uh, John chapter 3, you'll see a little, a little later, he speaks of Jesus Christ, who again is to be lifted up as Moses, uh, chapter 3 verse 14, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Um, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. But notice what he says in verse 18. He that believeth on him, on Jesus Christ, the Son, is not condemned. But he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that light is come into the world. Notice, light is, how, in who is the light come? In Jesus Christ. Light is come into the world, and men loved darkness rather than light, because their deeds are evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. If you go even a little later, turn with me to John chapter 9. Uh, throughout the book of John, we see many references with respect to Jesus Christ and Him being the light. In John chapter 9, if we begin reading in verse 1, John 9, verse, verse 1, the Bible says, And as Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth, and his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither hath this man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. Now, Jesus is not saying he's not a sinner. He's saying that his sickness is not attributed to a sin. Okay? Uh, just like Job, you remember the friends of Job accused, well, there's got to be some sin in your life. Uh, that's the reason why you're going through this. And so here he says, there's no sin that brought about uh, this, uh, but rather that God would be uh, made manifest in him, the works of God, and that God would be glorified. Verse 4, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. You see, so Jesus said, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Go with me to chapter 12. A little later in chapter 12 and uh, verse uh, 35 and 36. John 12, verse 35, 36. Then Jesus said unto them, yet a little while is the light with you. Now, who is the light? Jesus. Now, he's going to be betrayed, he's going to be crucified, and he's going to ascend up into heaven. And so him as the light, he's going to be a little while with you. Walk while ye have the light, lest darkness come upon you. For he that walketh in darkness knoweth not whether he goeth. While ye have light, believe in the light, that ye may be the children of light. These things spake Jesus and departed and did hide himself from them. And so we, I just want to emphasize here that Jesus is the light of the world. And while he was in the world, he says, I'm, you have the light while I'm here. But when I move away, you will no longer have the light. Now he's not saying that you will no longer be able to, able to believe the gospel. The point is, the gospel is Jesus Christ, who is the light. 
But Him in His presence, He would not be on earth anymore in a physical sense because He is the light. Salvation is not a religion. It's not a process. It's a person. The light ascended up to heaven after His crucifixion, His death, and His resurrection. And now uh, Jesus, the light of the world, is seated at the right hand of the Father. If you turn with me to 1 John in the uh, book of 1 John in chapter 1. He uh, speaks here again of, of Christ, just like uh, much of the Gospel of John in the first chapter. He does so here again in this chapter, but notice what he says uh, in verse 5. 1 John 1, 5. This then is the message which we have heard of Him and declare unto you that God is, what? Light. And in Him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light... As He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanseth us from all sin. Notice, if we walk in the light, as He is in the light. He is the light, Jesus Christ. I like the reference of 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6. The Bible says, For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, hath shined in our hearts, to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So the light, God is light. Jesus Christ is the light of the world. And God has shined, He has given the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the person of Jesus Christ, in the face of Jesus Christ, and specifically His person because He is God but also the work that he would accomplish. He plucks those, uh, those who are in darkness, who are dead in their trespasses and sin. He brings from death to life, from darkness to light. That's what Jesus does. Now with that in mind, I, I, I do not think that there are any other reference. The only thing we can know as believers is that Jesus Christ challenged his own disciples in the Sermon on the Mount when he said, ye are the light of the world. But the light of the world is only because they have received the light. So they in and of themselves are not light, right? They, they do not have the power of regeneration in and of themselves. That is in Jesus Christ. So Jesus himself is the light. Jesus himself is the candlestick. He is the light. Now when we look at the description, we spent some time talking about the description, and I have probably messed your understanding up of the candlestick based on my drawing. But we have a little bit of the description, um, and uh, we also find its place in the tabernacle. Now, it's not mentioned here in our text, but in Exodus chapter 40, verse 24, uh, God said to Moses, and he put the candlestick in the tent of the congregation over against the table. Now, over against doesn't mean pressed against it. Over against means on the opposite side, on the side of the tabernacle, uh, it says in Exodus 40, 24, southward. Now if you notice here, this would be the, the, the way that the tabernacle would always be set. The table of Shubra would already always be on the north side. The entrance was always on the east side. Uh, and then on the south side, the candlestick would be pressed over against on the south side. 
And so, in other words, the candlestick, by the way, we see the weight of gold. This was a pretty big candlestick. It was not a small thing you put on your table. It was, it was quite massive, and it would give a lot of light to the holy place, specifically at nighttime. And so we see here the place, it's over against, basically notice, uh, shining forth light upon the table, which Jesus is the table of shoe bread, and he is also the bread. Now, what is the function of this item, the, 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 the candlestick, in the tabernacle? Well, in our text, let's go back to Exodus chapter 25, Exodus 25 and verse 37. So notice what he says here, verse 37, And thou shalt make the seven lamps thereof, and they shall light the lamps thereof, that they may give light over against it. So its function is this, to give light. Now that's not complicated, that's simple. Now go with me to Exodus chapter 27. Notice what happens a few chapters later. In Exodus 27, and uh, notice verse 20 and 21. And thou shalt command the children of Israel that they bring the pure olive oil beaten for the light and cause the lamp to burn always. So this is going to be burning always. Notice verse 21. In the tabernacle of the congregation, without the veil. So we know this is not inside the veil. It's without the veil. It's in the holy place, not the holy of holies. And notice what he says, again, verse 21, In the tabernacle of the congregation without the veil, which is before the testimony, Aaron and his son shall order it from evening to morning before the Lord. It shall be a statue forever unto their generations on the behalf of the children of Israel. What is to be the statue? It's going to burn always. And here is how you're going to replenish the oil in the morning and in the evening so that the light does not cease. Now, obviously illustrating for us that Jesus Christ, the light of the world, His light is never extinguished. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the beginning and the end. He Himself, His person, has no end. By the way, if you study even before the revelation of Jesus Christ, when Jesus Christ presents himself uh, to a world that's rebelled against him and that's assembling its armies against him at the final battle of Armageddon, we understand that all of the judgments that precede that time, uh, the desire and the intent of those judgments is that men would repent in view of those judgments that are there. As a matter of fact, if you read through the book of Revelation, you find again and again where God says, after a judgment, and they repented not. Even during the darkest hour in the history of the world, God is still going to shine His light. The gospel will still be preached to those who have refused. And so we see here that this is to light always, picturing Jesus Christ. But if you go over with me, notice to the book of Leviticus in chapter 24. Uh, the very next book, Leviticus chapter 24. And uh, notice with me verse 8 and 9. Leviticus chapter 24, verse 8 and 9. So here he says, Every Sabbath he shall set it in order before the Lord continually, being taken from the children of Israel by an everlasting covenant, and it shall be Aaron's and his sons, and they shall eat it in the holy place, for it is most holy unto him of the offerings of the Lord made by fire for a, per a perpetual statute. 
I think here, obviously, the reason why you would have to have light is because uh, on the Sabbath, so every seven days, remember, the bread was put on the table of shoe bread, but on the Sabbath, the bread was eaten and consumed uh, by the priest, by Aaron and his sons, and so you, you have to have light to eat. You have to have light to consume the bread. And so the function is quite simple. It's to give light. Now, let's speak now of its significance. Uh, these are all preliminary. We have the details of it, although imperfect as I've presented them. And we have the, the logical function of it, and that is to give light. But what is its significance in the tabernacle? We read, uh, for example, as the New Testament comes of Jesus Christ being the light of the world. But if you remember, the material that is used, uh, the substance that is used for the fire is oil. Now, now, typically in Scripture, oil is representative of the Holy Spirit. And we read, for example, when Jesus Christ was, before His departure, if you turn with me to the Gospel of John again, uh, where we find many references to Jesus being the light, in the Gospel of John in chapter 16, uh, from chapter 14, 15, 16, and 17, Jesus Christ is spending those last few moments with His disciples, and He's preparing them for His departure. He told them uh, that He's going to be betrayed, He's going to be crucified, and He's not going to be with them. And they were troubled by that. And Jesus told them in chapter 14, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. And you remember Philip pipes up and he says, Well, uh, show, show us the way and show us the Father. And he says, Well, uh, hast thou not known me? He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. He's preparing in the midst of that. In chapter 15 and 16, he teaches them about the Comforter. And he says, it is expedient for you, it is absolutely vital for you, necessary for you, that I go away so that I can send the Comforter. The Comforter we read about in those chapters is the Holy Ghost. And notice here what Jesus said the Holy Ghost would do in chapter 16 and verse uh, 14. Well, let's look at verse 13. Howbeit, when He, the Spirit of truth, is come, He will guide you into all truth, for He shall not speak of Himself, but whatsoever He shall hear, that shall He speak, and He will show you things to come. He shall glorify Me, for He shall receive of Mine, and shall show it unto you. So notice, the Holy Ghost will receive from the Lord Himself, and then He will show these things unto them, and His, His, His chief function, the chief function of the Holy Spirit, is to point men to Christ. Uh, to point people to Jesus Christ and to who Jesus Christ is. And in a sense, the, the, the candlestick uh, gives light so that we understand and we see what's going on in the service of the tabernacle and the furniture of the tabernacle and what all those are representative, uh, uh, where, where do we understand those things? Because we see them by light. Well, the light is, I believe, representative of the Holy Spirit. 
In Numbers 8, verse 1 and 2, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto Aaron, and say unto him, When thou lightest the lamps, the seven lamps shall give light over against the candlestick. Exodus 40, 25, And, the, and he lightened the lamps before the Lord, as the Lord commanded Moses. Now I want you to think here about this number, because often we, we know that everything in this tabernacle points us to the Lord. Correct? That nothing is done just to be done. We talked about how there was uh, right the table of shoe bread and the Ark of the Covenant and the details of, of those things. We talked about uh, the bread itself on there. And the, all of those are representative and communicating something about the Lord. Uh, but here, what, what about those? There are seven. Seven, uh, if you would, branches from uh, uh, the shaft first, and then the other six branches, there are seven sources of light. Now, I think ultimately, if, if you're a Bible student, you say, well, seven, that's the number of perfection. That's God's number, and, and I agree. But turn with me to the book of Revelation. Is there any indication here uh, that this number relates to uh, our Lord Himself? Turn with me to Revelation chapter 4. So in Revelation chapter 4, if you unfold the study of the book of Revelation, you'll find that there is Jesus revealing himself to John in chapter 1. And the purpose of that revelation is, that, is so that John would write to the seven churches of Asia Minor. And in chapter 2 and chapter 3, he writes those letters uh, from the Lord to those seven churches. And when we come to chapter 4, we are immediately ushered into heaven. We see now the scene in heaven. And notice what we see described in heaven in uh, verse 2, and immediately, Revelation 4, 2, I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was in heaven, and one sat on the throne, and he that sat was to look upon like a jasper and a sardine stone, and um, uh, there was a rainbow round about the throne, in sight like unto an emerald, and round about the throne were four and twenty seats, and upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders sitting, clothed in white raiment, and they had on their heads crowns of gold." And out of the throne proceeded, notice, lightnings and thunderings and voices. And there were, how many lamps? Seven lamps of fire burning before the throne. And here he gives us what those signify, which are the seven spirits of God. Now, I believe that we know God is a spirit. And we believe in the person of the uh, Holy Spirit of God, that it's uh, part of the Trinity. Uh, but don't, uh, the, 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 the seven spirits of God, notice it is, in your Bible, capitalized spirits of God, but this simply means His perfection. God is omnipresent. He's everywhere present, and His Holy Spirit is everywhere present. And so this is the fact to show us that God is complete in His uh, Spirit, the spirits of God. Notice there are seven spirits. And so if the oil is a picture of the Holy Spirit in the Bible by pattern, and here there are seven sources of light, and we read in Revelation chapter 4 that the throne of heaven before the throne is, notice, proceed lightnings and thunderings, but there were seven lamps. And those seven lamps are representatives of the seven spirits of God. Uh, if you go even into chapter 5, Notice uh, verse 6. And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne, and of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders, stood a lamb, as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are 
the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. So here we have this number seven, and we know that this number seven in Revelation chapter four is associated with the seven lamps of fire burning. So we have to ask ourselves if there's no other reference in Scripture to those seven lamps burning that we find in the tabernacle, uh, this is representative of the spirits of the Lord, the seven spirits of the Lord. That it represents how the Lord, and we see in chapter 5, verse 6, that the seven spirits of God are sent forth into all the earth to be what? To be light. That's what those spirits are. They are uh, candlesticks. They are lamps. They are light. Now with those things in mind, I want you to turn with me to the book of Isaiah in chapter 11. In the book of Isaiah and uh, chapter 11. No, Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1. We read about our Savior Jesus Christ, and notice what is mentioned about Jesus Christ. Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1. And there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. And so there's growth coming out from the roots. A branch, notice. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. And so, notice, I believe here there's a picture in the sense that Jesus Christ is this branch that grew up out of dry ground. The root, that's what Jesus is, a root out of dry ground. But notice here, he says that the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. Notice he uses the word spirit. The Spirit of the Lord, and we remember at His baptism, we have the scene where uh, 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 Jesus is, asks John the Baptist to baptize him, even though John the Baptist, no, I need to be baptized by you. And he says, no, all things must be fulfilled. And after Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist, the Spirit, like a dove, came upon the Lord Jesus Christ and the voice from heaven, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And we know that those Jews during that day, they were expecting a king to rid them of the Roman government, not a savior to save them from their sins. On several occasions they tried to take him by force and make him a king, and he would not. But Jesus came out as a branch, and notice here there is three, uh, three pairs. If you notice, verse 2 of Isaiah 11, And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, so he's grown up out of, his, out of roots, and the spirit of wisdom and understanding. So I put here wisdom. Understanding. Notice, they're in pairs. The spirit of wisdom and understanding. Uh, two branches on each side. Then he goes on to say, the spirit of counsel and might. Another pair. And then there's a third pair, if you notice, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Fear Jesus is, notice, back to verse 1, there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow 
out of his roots the shaft that's Jesus Christ and he will come in what spirit the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him uh, those who see him will know that he is the Messiah that he is the light of the world and how would they know that well I think back in Romans 1 he, he makes that very clear uh, in Romans chapter 1 notice what he says he says Paul a servant of Jesus Christ called to be an apostle separated unto the gospel of God which he had promised afore by his prophets in the holy scriptures concerning his son Jesus Christ which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh and declared to be the son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead Jesus Christ was declared to be the son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness how by the resurrection from the dead there is no other Messiah but Jesus Christ. There is no other one that saves but Jesus Christ. And so there is one. The, the, uh, the Lord's uh, Spirit will rest upon Him. And notice He's going to come in the spirit of wisdom and understanding. He's going to come in the spirit of might and counsel. He's going to come in the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. That's who the Messiah would be. You see, the candlestick is Jesus Christ. Just like the three pairs of the branches growing out of the central stem. And so we see here that light would proceed from Jesus Christ. He himself is the light of the world. I was thinking about other references that we find in the Old Testament and it's interesting that there's not a whole lot actually mentioned about the candlestick. But there are two quite compelling references the first one is in 1 Samuel chapter 3 and verse 3. If you remember, uh, the Lord was calling for Samuel. But do you remember where he was calling from? Turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 3. Notice from the 1 Samuel chapter 3, notice verse 1. And the child Samuel ministered unto the Lord before Eli, and the word of the Lord was precious in those days. There was no open vision. And it came to pass at that time when Eli was laid down in his place and his eyes began to wax dim that he could not see. And ere the lamp of God went out in the temple of the Lord. What is the lamp of God? There is no other lamp of God in the tabernacle but the candlestick. This is the lamp of God. And notice God spoke and called out to Samuel from the candlestick. The Holy Spirit speaks and ere the lamp notice verse 3 went out in the temple of the ere the lamp of God went out in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was and Samuel was laid down to sleep and the Lord called Samuel and he answered here am I now we pause here uh, that's, that's great but do you remember what the message was what, what, what was the message Eli's children would be killed that, that's, not a, that's not a happy message. There's another reference that we find, and that is in the book of Daniel, chapter 5. Turn with me to the book of Daniel. Perhaps this uh, a little more obscure here in the book of Daniel with reference to uh, the candlestick, but nonetheless we find it there. Notice in Daniel chapter 5, uh, we have this scene. Let's begin reading in verse 1 so we can get the context. And many of you are familiar with this account here in Daniel 5. Notice, 
Uh, Belshazzar, the king, made a great feast to a thousand of his lords and drank wine before the thousand. Belshazzar, whilst he, he tasted the wine, commanded to bring the golden and the silver vessels which his father Nebuchadnezzar had taken out of the temple which was in Jerusalem. You know what was one of those items, golden items? The candlestick. That the king and his princes, his wives and his concubines might drink therein. Then they brought the golden vessels that were taken out of the temple of the house of God, which is at Jerusalem. And the king and his princes, his wives, his concubines drank in them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and of silver, of brass, of iron, of wood, and of stone. In the same hour came forth fingers of a man's hand and wrote over against the what? The candlestick upon the plaster of the wall of the king's palace, and the king saw the part of the hand that wrote. You see, one of the things now, they were not drinking out of the candlestick, but they brought it out. And when God spoke to Belshazzar, he spoke from the candlestick. Just like when he called out to Samuel, he spoke from the candlestick. I believe that the way God that deals with man, he deals with man by his Spirit. When Jesus said that the Spirit would come, He would do what? He would reprove the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. When Stephen preached to the Sanhedrin Council, remember what he said to them, Ye do always resist the Holy Ghost, as your fathers did, so also do ye. The way that God speaks today in the world, the way that God speaks to us today, is by His Spirit. And the candlestick is representative, yes, of Jesus Christ, but uh, the Holy Spirit, which is equal in person to Jesus Christ as far as part of the Trinity, that He speaks to us uh, by the light uh, of the Spirit. If you turn with me to just a few references here to the New Testament, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. As Christians now, we see what is mentioned about this candlestick. And what, what about believers? 1 Corinthians chapter 2. We studied this in Sunday mornings, but notice what he says. Verse 7. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 7. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory, which none of the princes of this world knew. For had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as is written, I have not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. But God hath revealed them. Now I know I mentioned, some people say that it's a reference to heaven. It's not a reference to heaven. Things that are unknown. No, it's actually something that is known, verse 10. But God hath revealed them unto us by his who? By his Spirit. For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. It's very simple. The candlestick is there to light the tabernacle so that we may see as we enter into the tabernacle and we may see what takes place at the table of shoe bread, that we might see what takes place at the altar of incense, that we might see and get some clarity as to what is going on, knowing that it is the light of the Spirit that lights and that reveals Himself and when we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, we see that the wisdom that we have received is not, it's not the wisdom of men, but it's the wisdom of God. The wisdom of God. 
You see, the Spirit of God who's revealed Himself, and we see not just in, in the Old Testament, we read verses like that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. And the truth is that uh, holy men of God spake as they were moved. First Peter, as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. What we have today, what we possess today, is the revelation of God through the power, through the light of the Holy Spirit. And so, say, so, okay, that, that's great. So, what, what, what's, what, what's the application for us? Well, the application for us is, um, is there any part of you that is resisting the Holy Ghost? Grieving the Holy Ghost? You know, He shines a light, does He not? We know what our natural state is. Our natural state is we love darkness rather than light. And the reason why we come to church and the reason why we read our Bibles is because we want to be exposed to everything that is unholy in our own lives. And we need the Holy Spirit's aid for that. And without the Holy Spirit's aid, His conviction, uh, then we could not know. But when He reveals Himself to us, by the way, it is possible to resist Him. It is possible to, uh, to vex the Spirit of God. And so as believers, we who have received the light, we who have received the wisdom of God, when we are exposed to the light, and by the way, we read the Word, and don't, don't mistake, please don't, don't see me when I preach the Word imperfectly. Do not look at the imperfections as a way to justify when the Spirit of God speaks to you. Because here's the thing, God will always use imperfect vessels to communicate with man. When somebody communicated the gospel to me or communicated the gospel to you, they were unperfect people. But yet God got a hold of your heart because the Spirit of God was doing the work in your heart. And in all of our lives when the light shines, it exposes the dark areas of our lives that we want hid. You know, the Spirit, He searches the deep things of God, He says. The deep things of God. And so the question here is, you know, we, it's easy for us, it's easy for us to be superficial and to be shallow. I come to church and I'm dressed up. And all you know is I'm the pastor of the church and I stand behind the pulpit and I preach and teach the Word of God. And that's all superficial. But the Holy Spirit of God, and by the light of His Word, He can shine into the heart and He sees past, He sees past all the superficial. And He gets down to the heart. And so, first of all, are you letting Him get down to the heart? And when He gets down to the heart, are you responding to the Holy Spirit? That's the application for us. So may the Lord help us. May the Lord help us. It's interesting that the two other references with Samuel and the Belshazzar, that when uh, God spoke from the candlestick, these were not positive messages. They were messages of warnings. 
And although God recognizes our labor of love, He is trying to conform us to the image of Jesus Christ. And He does so with the light of the Holy Spirit.